This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com view. everybody and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Ari Clark and today on our panel we have Chris Fritz. Hello! Oh goodness, Chris. <laughs> and Tessa. Uh, hi. That's about, yeah, that's my energy level. <laughs> and finally, Ben Hogg. Hello. <laughs> Eeyore over here. <laughs> anyway, today is a panelist episode and we are going to be talking about View DevTools. Who would like to start out by defining what are the view dev tools? I nominate Chris. I can do it. Okay, so the view <laughs> dev tools are extensions for Chrome and Firefox that allow you to inspect your view application, like find out like the, the hierarchy of elements on the page, play around with those elements, inspect their state, even do things like edit their state if you wanted to do some, some playing around, some prototyping. You can also get a list of UX events that are being fired off. By the way, for people who are wondering, like, what's the point of UX mutations? Like, this is the whole point. It's to get these nice logs in the Vue DevTools. Mm -hmm. And you can, like, time travel to a former place in the state in case you wanted to, like, undo a bunch of state changes. That can be really useful for prototyping as well. And you can also see, like, different events that are happening. You can... Check out the the routing configuration and the like the route that 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 people are going to in your app. And there's a there's a cool performance tab as well, where View will show you like when you're having drop-offs in performance and exactly what's happening around that time. Like what kind of events are being fired off, what kind of route changes are you making? And it can even show you a breakdown of which components are taking the most time to render which can be really, really useful. A lot of times you might not realize there's like one component that's just like chugging, slowing down your app because of it's, it's doing something really, really expensive and maybe like doing it over and over and over again. That's really typical. And then there are also like some configuration to change like the way that it looks and stuff like that. And that's, that's basically what it is for like debugging, prototyping, playing around, that kind of thing. Inspecting your application, figuring out how to make it better. So I had never actually played with the performance thing until you were just talking about it. Turns out I have some issues. <laughs> In your app? Yeah. Or just personally? Both. <laughs> definitely both. I was like going between routes and I definitely saw a very wide red bar, <laughs> which I'm guessing is not a good thing. I mean, it's, yeah, this stuff is like really good to know about because a lot of people, when they first checked out the dev tools, maybe they just had like a components tab and a UX tab and everything else might be new to them. A lot of people haven't checked it out since then or checked out any of those tabs because they haven't needed them and didn't really mm-hmm. know what they would go there for. And so they never checked it out. But yeah, it can be so, so useful. And if you check out the component render tab, can you see the breakdown, Ari, of like yeah. how many milliseconds each component Ooh. is taking? And Oof. even... <laughs> Like where that, like where, 
what that time is being spent on in its individual life cycle hook. Like, is that happening on created, before mount, mounted? Oh, wow. This is really cool. So who wants to guess what the largest component is? Because it's one that we all have, or most of us probably have. App. That would have been my guess. Transition. <laughs> oh, no. I know. Maybe, uh, maybe I've gone overboard with the transitions. <laughs> but yeah, by far, the most time is being spent on that in my app. And that's just in like a very short amount of time. <laughs> but is that a bad thing? Like, are you noticing a performance issue? It's telling you like where you're getting uh, yeah, problems. It, and the frames a, per second, it stutter. did say, yeah, it did, if it's red, then you're probably not getting 50, 60 frames per second. No, there's, there's definitely some animation jank, which is a technical term. Yes, it is. In case you yeah. did not know. <laughs> I thought that was really funny the first time I heard that. I was like, I always said janky. I didn't know it was a real word. Well, it's a real word when someone writes about it in a book, right? Yeah. Basically. <laughs> yeah, I know one of the tabs in tools I actually used first for me, surprisingly, was the events tab because yeah. back then I thought I was brilliant in not using Vuex and I was like, I'm going to use an event bus. I'm like, Ooh, I'm no! Ben! No. Why so do you hate real... yourself so much? You know, I was like, I'm saving kilobytes of library downloads. Um, so yeah, I, I used the event tab, tab exclusively back then just like figuring out like what triggered what and what payload they were sending. Yeah, the event, I got really... That was like the first time I got really familiar with <laughs> when I sort of started out using Vue. So yeah. for people who might not be aware, like what are the events? Like what, what is... What kind of events is it tracking in a Vue application? Yeah, it's tracking that every time you're using that dollar sign emit, basically, or like click events, any V on, basically what's happening. It'll track that that's happening and then let you know like, Basically, I've, I don't have an example in front of me, but it was like the payload for sure, like what it's sending, but it was like where it's starting from. And you can track like the order in which that happens. So those that in case you haven't worked with the event bus before and why Tessa and Ari were groaning is because there's a lot of like side effects and random things happening out of order or out of sequence. Because as those of us who've worked with JavaScript events for a while know, like events bubble up, there's side effects, there's propagation, there's all this stuff happening all the time. And so it's why like the thing that Chris was mentioning earlier regarding Vuex and having a very orderly stated timeline, like that was why, I mean, that's just, just so magical when you're trying to actually figure out what's wrong. Do you want to talk a little bit about the, the Vuex tab? Because I will say that's probably the tab I spend the most time in myself. Just because I, like may... sure. yeah, I, may, I may be overuse Vuex at times, I will admit. Things that probably could just be local state. <laughs> I maybe sometimes stick in global state, but you shouldn't do that. Just saying, best, that is not best practices. But so, in the Vuex tab, there are two panels. One is showing the mutations in real time, and the other is really uh, just the ability to inspect your entire state at once, including getters, which are at the end, which. If you have a really large, if you have a lot of UX state, you may miss that initially. In my case, I have to scroll pretty far. But so it updates the data um, in your UX store in real time. It allows you to inspect the state as well as edit the state if you would like. I have personally never done that because it sort of warns you that bad things might happen. 
or at least it used to. I'm not sure if it still does, but I've been too afraid to try it. Has anyone else tried it? I don't think I've gotten any warnings there, but I haven't been able to get the prop editing thing working, which is like separate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So in the settings under editable props, it does say may print warnings in the console. (laughs) But so with Vuex, there is an option to either auto load the Vuex state or not. I have to auto load it just because it is an event or um, a real-time app. So it is constantly changing. So if I like just load it on demand, by the time it loads, it's changed usually. And that one also has a warning of may impact performance or cause crashes. And I will say that definitely was the case like a year ago. I have not had many problems with it recently though. What does it mean to load it on demand? Like when I open the Vuex tab? Yeah, it'll say load state. There will be like a little button. I see. What about yeah. this new Vuex backend thing I'm seeing in the settings? Yeah, which is like faster is all, all it says. Less I'm memory like, intensive? Yeah. So a lot of the crashes that you might have. Okay, this is purely from my experience. I don't know if this is accurate, but <laughs> at least in the last six months or so, using the new Vuex backend has definitely decreased the number of DevTool crashes that I have with the yeah. auto-loaded state. So, However, it actually used to cause weird problems for me otherwise. So for a long time, I had to disable the new Vuex backend because it would, I would have this problem where the state or the, my store would just like not be defined anymore after a while, which hmm. super annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right now I have new Vuex backend turned on and auto load turned off. But instead of like a load state button, I just have like a never ending loading state scanning circle. Mm. Yeah, that's what used to happen to me. I will say that any like major problems I have had with the view dev tools, opening an issue on GitHub, it was very quickly addressed, like within a week. So Guillaume is doing some solid work. <laughs> yeah, I feel like every time I went to see what was going on, somebody had already opened an issue. And right, yeah. Yeah. And for those that don't know, Guillaume Chow is also known as Acrium on GitHub. It's probably, you're probably more familiar with this handle, but he's on the core team and has done a lot of great work on the dev tools. Yeah. yeah. And regarding the performance issues that you were talking about, like there, there was a point when it was a 17 times like performance increase uh, on average for the dev tools with like one, one batch of commits. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, you know, he he's fixed, made that a lot, lot faster. For me, um, in this current major release, especially I, with uh, UX and big yeah. stores. Yeah. No, like it was unusable for me for like the first week. Because it would take so long to load the state that every time I actually like scrolled down to the state I needed to inspect, it would reload again. And then I would have to try to scroll down. Like I literally could not see my state in time because like you couldn't keep like a tab or like a nested state open. It would, whenever it would reload, it would like collapse everything again. That was very quickly fixed (laughs) because apparently I was not the only one having that problem. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I will say like just in the last, since this beta version was released, it has improved so much. Like I used to have almost daily crashes of the temp tools just because, you know, if you have a large store and that store is updating often, like you can imagine just the cash alone starts to get a little iffy. But no, I don't actually don't remember the last time the dev tools crashed on me. So 
So yay. <laughs> That's a great place to be. I know. <laughs> no, you know, I just crash it with errors in the console. To be fair, they're disconnection errors, okay? <laughs> it's not me, I swear. One feature that I, I think a lot of people don't know about is that they can actually inspect. Like this is this is one of the first features that's been there for a long time, but like clicking through the component tree, like you can actually inspect the the props and internal state of all of your components. And if you click on one, you'll notice right next to it on the right hand side, it says like equals dollar sign VM and then some number. Which means if you go to console oh. at that point, like you can actually oh. type in dollar sign oh VM zero. I didn't know that's and what start that playing meant. around with that component. Hold up, hold up. It's, it's assigned Get to Get out of here. No, this is oh this is gosh. for real, legit. What? I'm like trying to see it for myself, but my app crashed and now I can't see <laughs> like the rest of you. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't know this. That's amazing. Yeah, a yeah. lot of people don't know about it. They just like to, it's kind of like gray a little bit. And so yeah. people just don't don't look at it, I, I think. Never, I just thought it was like a key. I never even thought like, about it. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's the key. Whatever. Wow. And it cool. even keeps track of the history of what you click. So it's like VM0, VM1, VM2. And you so get like, like autocomplete for the... Oh, man, this is awesome. Oh, my gosh. And so, and yeah, for people listening, and obviously you can't share our screens, but yeah. this is... <laughs> Insane. You have to try it. It's a game changer. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, and it like, there's a little icon of an eyeball or like an eye yeah. to the right of it. And if you click on that, then it'll scroll whatever component you, you have into view and, and highlight it for you so that you can oh, see exactly which component that's referring to. Nice. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I thought it was a big deal when I would click the select if you next to the, like the filter components and you could like hover in the browser and like click on something, then it would show you like like automatically drop you to the right component. I thought that was a game changer, but I was oh my god. How long it took me to discover that. Yeah, I was like doing it the old-fashioned way of like scrolling through and then so yeah, you can use like it's like the select tool. It's like a DOM inspector. I was like, what? I also like that it's in the context menu when you right click. Wait, what do you mean? Like, you know how you can right-click on something <gasps> to inspect and Wait, There's also yeah. I've never done that. I've what? always done the select and then clicked on the thing. No, like, honestly, that is one of my favorite things about the dev tools is that, yeah. Though sometimes it won't find the component when I'm like, I know there's a component there. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, if there's, like, large empty spaces in your component, it doesn't tend to detect it, but... Oh, my gosh. It, yeah, no, right like... Now. Efficiency. Yeah. So for those who have never so many things. Yeah, right-clicked, there's a view logo next to it and it says inspect view component. And it does what I just talked about with the select button, but way faster because you don't have to open the dev tools and then click select and then click something. Yeah. It's also kind of nice if you don't have the dev tools open already because then that also gives mm-hmm. you an idea if the dev tools are running or not. Because yeah, it'll oh. tell you, please open the dev tools and then try again. <laughs> I, I use a little view icon in like the toolbar. That's how I can tell if mine's on. Oh my gosh. Yeah, man, we're all learning so much here <laughs> just by sharing knowledge. Yeah. And this is important stuff too, because like uh, right now, at least at the time of recording, a lot of people are working from home. Uh, you may have heard about what, what's going on. <laughs> Not a lot of people going to work right now. 
And so it's, it's harder to like troubleshoot with people. You know, like we're not sitting right next to each other. It's harder to just say like, hey, would you mind taking a look at this real quick? Like, that's weird, right? <laughs> Shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> and instead, like knowing how to use your, your tooling and knowing like all of the options available in your tooling can help you like so much in moving beyond just like console.log, which can be, can be great for, for troubleshooting. But sometimes this is more convenient. Oh my gosh, yes. Like when I started working on this project that I'm working on right now and I first tried to load dev pools, it wouldn't. And uh, I heard that it doesn't really work that well on this app. And I was like, oh my gosh, do you mean I have to go back to console logging everything? Like, <laughs> how do I know what the props are? How do I know what data I have? I have no idea where to find any of this stuff. Oh my gosh. And, and a lot of times like the events tab, like seeing the, the actual payload emitted by events mm-hmm. and also like getting a variable of a component and then playing around with it, inspecting it, like that, that saves me from having to do the console.log work that I'd have to do otherwise, which, and then I have to remember to delete, or I, although actually I have, I have some <laughs> ESN stuff set up that automatically warns me pre-commit that like, hey, yo, what's up? Why are you, why are you trying to commit a console.log? That's not cool. Yeah, I feel and like- then it stops me. I'm like, oh, thank you, tooling. Thank you for keeping me from looking stupid. I'm not looking stupid, but being embarrassed. Yeah. I feel like also for me, so many times I'm, I once when I think I have events down, there's like a moment where suddenly I'm like, I'm not seeing the event anywhere. And so, usually without dev tools, that means that I would have to like console log from the event. But since you can't put console logs in the template, I have to make a new temporary method just to test the console log. <laughs> totally done that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that events tab can save a lot of time. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys, though. Sometimes I forget the tooling available to me. And then I just end up console logging it, even mm-hmm. though there were easier and more explicit ways to, to track things. I mean, sometimes just me. console is just really satisfying, you know? I know. And I'm like, my my console logs are very thorough. I don't just, you know... Not one of those people that just console logs it, you know, a variable name. At least I'm going to put it in brackets so it'll like say what it is because there's nothing I hate more than someone else's console logs or I'm just seeing like a stream of numbers or something in my console. And I'm like, what does it mean? But that's me. One console log trick I learned recently from West Boss is actually if you're ever having trouble unpacking like, like an object, if you console.dir, Instead of just console log, it allows you to unpack things in like a drop-down manner that you would want it to. Oh. So yeah, console.dir is like a whole new thing. And then console.table is also really good when you have like arrays. So then you can actually see like all the properties laid out, like when you have a list of stuff. Those are my two uh, yeah, like hidden console tricks to make your life easier. I only thought that was the difference lately, like maybe the last two or three years, I haven't generally seen a huge difference between console dir and console log, except maybe when I'm getting object object, which doesn't seem to be happening as often. But one thing I learned object object a couple years ago, I'm not sure if it applies to both console log and console dir, just one of them, but like if you don't have the object expanded in the console and you mutate the object. I believe the object will also mutate in the console. So if you like, we're trying to see an old value, but you change it 
it may have originally gotten that old value to begin with, but when you open the object, you're going to see the new value if that makes sense. Maybe not. Does that make sense? So like if I if I had an object and inside it had like name Ben Hong, and then I console dirt it to see if I was getting the right thing, but I didn't expand the object yet um, in the console. So I only saw that it was an uh, oh. right. And then I used the form or something to update the name to Ari. And then I expand it, then I would see Ari and be like, oh, why didn't it get the right value when I console logged it a minute ago? Mm -hmm. Interesting. I have definitely, I have run into that problem because it, yeah, when it actually like evaluates it, isn't Mm -hmm. necessarily when you think it did. I literally spent like two days debugging a problem with that. Because I'm like, but it's right here. What the heck? Why isn't this happening the way it's supposed to? And then finally, I stringified it. And I'm like, oh, no, that's not what I was expecting. Yeah. So when people encounter that kind of stuff, stringifying it can be really useful. Because when you're like logging uh, an actual object, like it, it logs a reference to that object. And so if that object changes later, you'll see the updated version of the object. But if you stringify it, then you'll actually see like what that object looked like at that very moment. Otherwise, you know, logging an object won't, won't give you that. Yeah. No, that was a lesson I learned the hard way. <laughs> Same. So I hope that maybe we saved yeah, some of you from learning that the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I yeah, hope so. Definitely. I was wondering like what other kinds of tricks or tools do y'all use when you're when you're troubleshooting by yourself, like with, you know, at home with tooling? Does anyone actually use a debugger? <laughs> Just curious. I mean, yeah, I, I, I can start. So like it, something that a lot of people don't realize that they can do is when you get an error in the console. And I'm I'm in Chrome right now. It shows you next to the error, like the file that that, that came from, including the line. And if you expand it, you can see like a bunch of things that happened on the way to this happening. So I'm, I'm looking at an error right now that uh, was caused on login. And I can see in an auth module during a login function, you know, some, some error happened along the way. And so I can click on that and then it'll take me to the sources tab and the exact line where that happened in case you want to take a look at it. And if you like start clicking on lines, you can actually set breakpoints. So you can, you can tell the program to basically pause when it gets to this point. And then you'll be able to inspect like the, the values of all of the variables. Like this can often be like a really good alternative to console.logging there. And it gets, totally gets around that problem with objects too, because it's not moving on with the program. It's staying exactly there. And, and it also means that you don't have to console.log absolutely everything. I know there are some times when I like console.log something, it's like, well, that wasn't useful. And I console.log another thing. And then I just end up with like 10 console.log statements next to each other <laughs> just to log all the things. But with this, like you can, like all of the variables that are set, you can inspect their values. And so that, that can be a lot faster, actually, but you the same result. Well, oh, go ahead. Okay. So here's something that I've noticed sometimes in some of like, to Chris, your point, like in the console error, you know, actually for, so sometimes what I'll notice is that 
rather than give you the actual line number of where it's happening in the component, right? It'll actually just have this. I'm sure some of you've seen this view.runtime.esm. And this thing is not particularly useful from like a what line did this happen on? Like, yes, I know that. And and oh, for the those listening, I have a simple like view CLI, like standard boilerplate app where I just didn't pass an image prop. Like that's basically all the warning is. But rather than sort of tell me sort of where it is, and maybe the part of it is that it's just that because it's a warning, there's no line number. But it's like I have seen this sometimes where the error is just like this view runtime ESM, but that's actually not helpful from like a, if that makes sense. Yeah, because like that's that is where the warning actually happened. There wasn't an error that happened in that file. Right. But like inspecting that file later, like we the like view noticed that something uh, is weird. So. I mean, it is it is technically accurate, right? But it's one of those like it's not helpful to the developer, right? Because while yes, it happened in the ESM library, the module, I need mm-hmm. to know like you know again, it does tell me that it happens in hello world view, but it might have been nice to actually call the fact that like you know it actually you know it was being called in I don't know app view and hello world, or yeah. So it's just like you I know, will admit that frustrates me as well. Yeah, because so sometimes do... if you scroll far enough into like the stack trace, you'll eventually find like, oh, there's my component, right? And then it it like at least gives you a clue, but sometimes you don't. Um, so you can actually like if you go to that file, you can install like if you're using VS Code debugger for Chrome, uh huh, and then use debugging stuff like you know set breakpoints and things like that inside of the actual editor. Instead of having right. to go into the the dev tooling for Chrome, but it's, yeah, but it's one of those things where, like, you know, because Vue knows this image, this image prop is required, and it knows that you know currently the home page is what's calling it here on line four. Technically, the image prop should be like firing the error here. I feel like, or the warning, be like home on line four. Your hello world component is missing a required prop. That I feel like that would be more useful. Well, I mean, th- this is this is part of like. I mean, write it I, I think it's it's a technical limitation. <laughs> I don't think there's there's actually a way to do that. Oh, interesting. Okay, but what we could do, uh, sorry, not not we. Um, yeah, what, not we anymore. What you could do. <laughs> yep. What, what Ben you could, could do? do. No. Yeah, Ben. What you could do? <laughs> I don't know why it hasn't been done yet. Gosh, so lazy. They don't make core team members like they used to. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I just know when Damn. I was on the, when I was on the team, th- I don't think anyone ever had any problems. Okay, yeah, it, it all has started. I'm just when kidding. I, I know. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Uh, so something that that could be done is it is possible to can't remember how, but I'm pretty sure it is possible to have a link to a file in that log for the error. I thought I had, so I was going to bring this up too, because I thought I had heard about something like this. When you get an error, there was supposed to be some kind of source map link in the dev tools where, like, I remember somebody gave a talk, you could click on it and it was supposed to open up the file for you. And I thought that sounds like such a great feature and I've never been able to find it. So, I mean, it, it, the thing is it, it works sometimes. It works when there's actually an error in, like, in the component. But in this case, there's no error in the component. There's an error inspecting the component after it's been processed, like after that file has run. And so the, the error actually isn't in that file anywhere. Does that make sense? I think so. Like it's not in the call stack. And so it, we'd have to like show you a, a link 
manually to to let you like click through that. But then again, like I don't I don't think we could get, give a line number. We could give a link to that file, and I think that's the best we could do. Although maybe I don't know. I don't I don't know of a way to give a line number personally I mean, without like going into way too much work. <laughs> For Ben. Yes. Just for just my little problem. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing that I thought was pretty cool and useful that I wouldn't necessarily have expected to be useful was I think a year ago, Rahul tweeted about how you can activate view dev tools on like the production version of a website. And mm. there have actually been times where I had to look at the production version of the app because I couldn't reproduce the bug on local with dev tools. And so I thought that was pretty great. And basically, it involves trying to find, I think, trying to find the variable that there's there's a Boolean in the source map somewhere that sets the dev tools to false or debug mode to false. And you have to find that and set it to true. And then you can, when you close and reopen the dev tools, you can use them, which is pretty great. And you could also uh, do that like manually for yourself so that if, it, if it's your app in production... You can make it so that you can always use the, the dev tools in production. Are there reasons why you wouldn't want to have them in production? Or, you know, what are the risks? Yeah. So some people just don't like random people. I mean, it's, it's like, it's not really security, but like random people from, from going and inspecting stuff super easily. I mean, <laughs> if it's, it's not, in the it's browser, like to feature. some extent. Yeah, like... exactly. No, no, exactly. If it's on the client, like that's... That information exposed, is available. Yeah. yeah. So it's not it's not really a security feature, but I don't know, some people some people don't like it. And, and it also like if the dev tools are open, like if you have the, the console open, the dev tools are open, you know, that like provides a, a performance hit. Mm-hmm. But I mean having the dev tools open, period, is going to give you a performance hit. So, you know, if you want to see how something is actually performing, you can close the dev tools. <laughs> Wait, but then how can I use all the performance tooling? Catch 22. <laughs> well, actually... Well, I mean, I'm talking about the view dev tools. I know, but how am I supposed to use the performance tab? I think that's I mean, an electron I know, I know. version of the dev tools, right? There is. But separate from the Chrome instance. I had forgotten. Th- there is, that. yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't think I've ever used that. Yeah, so for those that don't want to like open their dev tools, you can actually download the Electron app and then have that run separately. And you know what's really interesting is trying to get the dev tools to work within an Electron app. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, not yeah. fun. I, I did manage it once. I yeah, I've managed <laughs> it, but it wasn't fun. Yeah. I don't remember what I did anymore, but yeah, me neither. I just remember it was painful. Because you have to like you have to make special key bindings within the app to be able to trigger it because, yeah, Electron's just a whole bag of fun all, all on its own. <laughs> Speaking of issues that you only get when you have view dev tools open, I remember I was trying to help a coworker debug something with like a, a recursive table that was loading computed properties. And then I happened to get coffee with Damian and he was telling me something like computed properties are... Let me see if I remember this correctly. I think he said computed properties are lazy and they don't get the values until you need them, which is to say you've rendered them so that rendered them in the DOM. But 
if you have the dev tools open, since they need to be able to show you the computed properties, that will cause the computer properties to fetch those values. And so that can cause some bugs where it looks like you have a value in the computed properties in the dev tools, but you might actually not really have it in your app. So it's like gaslighting you kind of. <laughs> oh my God. I'm amazed that I followed that. Not gonna lie. I know. I was <laughs> like, oh I, no, that I makes think, sense. I think that's been fixed if I remember correctly. Oh really? That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but I mean, th- there are like, Basically, it's it's not when it's rendered, but it's but whenever the the getter for that computer property is triggered, like that's when it's mm-hmm. actually evaluated. You know, so and, and that's that's a performance feature. So, for example, if you are rendering an application or rendering a component, and let's say because of some VF, you don't actually have to show like the value for this computer property anywhere, like it won't actually evaluate. It won't it won't run that function because it's not needed yet. So this is slightly off topic, but it was a question that I had for myself earlier that maybe other people have. It's sort of related to this, but uh, anyway. Is there any penalty to using refs that aren't ever actually used for anything other than, say, maybe selecting in a test? I mean, I wouldn't recommend that. Okay. I mean, to, because like, like I was that, just like, just intuitively, sounds, I'm if like, you're, if you're doing that in a test, like, it sounds like, hit. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, I, oh, surely, but I don't think there would be anything significant. Because I mean, doesn't I it, think, if just by adding the ref, it has to register some additional things, right? Like, I mean, it already exists in memory. It's just giving it like a like assigning it to a variable. It's not creating a copy of it or anything. So, I'd, I I would think that would be pretty cheap. But okay, so anyway, sorry, derailed that. <laughs> yeah, but I probably wouldn't do that in a test. And with that, it's time for us to move on to this week's picks. Chris, would you like to start? Sure. So I have two picks this week. The first one is Half-Life Alex. I have been waiting many years for a new Half-Life game to come out. <laughs> and this is a VR-only Half-Life game. And what is and Half-Life, Chris? It is a lot of fun. It's a game that is very good. It's a game series that <laughs> is very, very good. Descriptive. <laughs> that comes out not very often. I played the first one in 1998. I was in eighth grade, so I pretty much disaged myself. <laughs> and I basically just didn't do homework for that week that I was playing the game. I would get up early every single day, play the game, think about it all day, get home, play the game, stay up late, pass out, making sure I set an alarm first so I could wake up early, play the game, think about it all day, repeat just for, for a whole week. And that was, that was fantastic. And I have a much healthier relationship because I'm not playing it right now. <laughs> I actually made it today. It's been a lot of fun. Unfortunately, you do need a pretty powerful rig, and yeah. I am using it with the the Valve Index headset and, and controllers. It's been a joy. I, I got it before you couldn't get stuff anymore. And so, Chris, would you say that that game is 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 apropos for this this time this time um, of life? <laughs> well. I don't know. So like it's it's it has horror aspects and it can be pretty scary sometimes. I, I've seen a lot of reviews that say it's a great game for the wrong time because <laughs> there aren't a lot of people who like want to be scared in their free time right now. Because <laughs> that's what they're doing normally. Yeah, I will say my first 10 Which minutes, I, can, I, I can was understand. terrified just playing it. <laughs> yeah, and there are like things like flying at your face and stuff like that. But 
it's it's a lot of fun. I, I I'm really enjoying it so far. I'm still not even halfway through. My second pick is not scary. It's much lighter, although maybe scary in an existential sense. It's Steven <laughs> Universe Future. So this is like a follow-on series to a cartoon called Steven Universe that that I really enjoyed. A lot of the first season you can skip, but there's a if, if you look at Steven Universe Flood Protocol or something like that, there's a list of episodes that you can skip and the episodes that you should definitely watch for the first season. But Steven Universe Future I had recommended to me by a few different people and I finally checked it out. And it was like almost a little bit too real. I cried. I like bawled my eyes out probably every other episode. Like this is some personal stuff. And I think they're spying on me because it's about my life. It's, it was weird. It was really, really weird. Yeah, there's, there's one point where... No, I'm not going to spoil anything. Go, go ahead and watch it. <laughs> Even if you haven't watched Steven Universe, I'd say like, it's still really interesting and poignant. And each episode is like 10 minutes long. Awesome. Up next, uh, Ben, what do you have? Oh, all right. So my first, I have three picks for you this week. My first is VS Code's live share. So it's an extension for VS Code where you basically authenticate with GitHub and then people can live, you can code pair. So it's like code pairing in the real. So as close as we can get in this remote lifestyle where someone can actually have the cursor on your code, see what file you're on, make live edits. And so combining that with, you know, like a Zoom or something can be really great just from trying to keep us a bit more connected. My second pick is a TV show on Netflix called Ugly Delicious. There are two seasons out. It's by Chef Dave Chang. And so it's like a food sort of like... He like goes through like different topics in food, comparing things like the Italian pasta versus Asian dumplings. And so he's just like... It's really interesting for me from like an Asian cultural perspective. And just like... Also, it's all this food that I can't eat right now because going out is not okay right now. So I get to watch other people eat delicious food. Um, hey, you can still get takeout. Yeah. I could. I could. But all the fancy restaurants where you have to dine in. My final pick is a game called Don't Starve Together. So gaming is another way for a lot of us to sort of connect and spend time with each other. And so Don't Starve Together is a game that's on PC and Mac. So you just download Steam, which is a game client. And it's basically you're these 2D characters and you're, you show up on like the planet with like no resources and you basically have to pick up food and like try to cook and make fire and just basically survive as long as you humanly can. So it's a fun, a little bleak, but a fun game to play with friends. And with that, those are my picks for this week. Okay. Oh, I'm going to have one more pick. Can I have one more oh. pick still? <laughs> I guess. I it hasn't gone. But I'm going to do one more pick. Okay, so this pick is Drawful 2. I think still, I mean, right now, at least as, as of recording, I don't know if it'll still be free when this comes out. Drawful 2 is free on Steam. And that's a great game to play with people remotely, especially if you use like Steam Remote Play. Look it up. It, it's basically like almost zero latency so that you can be looking at this stuff at the same time, playing the game. You basically make little drawings and then guess what the drawings are. And the drawings are terrible because they're like made with your finger on your touch screen. So like picture fantastic for the modern world? Yeah. Oh, it's okay. fantastic. It's, okay. it's super good. It's a lot of fun. Whether you can draw or not. And I cannot. Okay. That's, that's it. Now, now it's Tessa's turn. <laughs> what do you have for us this week? I, yeah. First, I'd like to suggest taking classes with a friend. So I think last time I mentioned RE6, Resident Evil 6. And so a friend and I, after two and a half years, we couldn't believe that was the last time we played. 
we finally finished our missions. And I mentioned to him that I was taking this online tarot class. And so he's joining me in that. And traditionally, you're not supposed to buy your own first deck. So I sent him a deck and we're doing that together. So that's a fun way to keep in touch without feeling pressure about having something interesting to say or being like, what's up with you that's new in the quarantine? So that's rec number one. And then rec number two, last week, I think I made a joke about doing photo shoots in Animal Crossing. And this hilarious designer turned photographer I follow on YouTube, Jessica Covesi, actually did professional photo shoot in Animal Crossing. And it's great. So you should go watch that. It does sound interesting. That's awesome. Okay, I guess uh, that means it's my turn. So this week I have one song just because I was scrambling a little bit for picks. So I've actually picked this band before, but this is a different song. So the song is Since You Asked Kindly by Bad Bad Not Good. And then I have a TV show, which, okay, full disclosure, you may not want to watch this right now, but if you... <laughs> if you are okay with maybe some too soonness, <laughs> Last Man on Earth, <laughs> which is available on Hulu, is honestly a really great show. It might be too soon because the premise, in fact, is a virus has wiped out humanity. <laughs> so, <laughs> if, yeah, yeah, it depends on how much you want to sort of like really go on to the dark side of your current situation right now. But I will say that it shows how things like this can bring people together. So it's sort of an oddly hopeful look at, at an apocalyptic virus, which is not the situation we're in right now. So there's also <laughs> that part. But yeah, so that is it for my picks, which means that's it for this week. And until next time, enjoy the view. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. With 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage option, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price that you don't. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com view.